Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music that girls are already crazy about. So if you guys didn't already know this, we do have a Twitter and Instagram and we love to chat with y'all about the episodes. We love to hear guys' thoughts, feedback, and ideas. If you have anything that you're like, oh my God, I wish someone would talk about this. Let us know. Maybe we can do an episode on it. We love hanging out with y'all on social and we always have lots of fun activities going on like our occasional live chats that you can join in on. And speaking of bonus content, we just started a new weekly mini-sode called Did You Hear, which is a feminist take on the music news you need to know. You can get access to this by joining our Patreon community over at patreon.com slash name three songs. So Sarah, what are we talking about today? I feel like today we're tipping our hats that you're wrong about because we're talking about some maligned women (laughs) in pop culture. (laughs) And that's all I just kept thinking about while I was doing research for this is like Michael Hobbs being like, ah, maligned women. (laughs) Ah, yes. I love this so much already. All right, let's go. So basically, what we're doing today is we are explaining to you guys why we were all wrong for judging a lot of women who the media hated, and then they went and they tried their hand at music, and their careers in music were halted before they even had a chance, just because the general public and the media hated them for previous transgressions. And so today, we're talking about some people that I feel like most of y'all never thought we were going to be talking about on this podcast, including Kim Kardashian. So I feel like this is a very fun and exciting day for us. I finally get to put even more of my dumb, unnecessary pop culture knowledge to the test here because while we're staying in music, we're going into a a land that I don't think Jenna ever wanted to or needed to go into, (laughs) but we we both learned a lot. There are surprisingly some very interesting articles that came up in doing this. But yeah, so basically today we're talking about the very short music careers of maligned women in the pop culture zeitgeist. And I'm so excited to talk about this. Not just maligned women in the pop culture zeitgeist, but let's throw the early 2000s in there, baby. (laughs) We're taking it back. And I must say, I willingly did not know any of this information and probably could have lived my life without it. But it was actually very fun to learn. (laughs) So hopefully you guys, if you don't already know, Hopefully you guys are going to feel the same way by the end of this episode. The fun thing about this topic is that this is another one of those things where this moment in pop culture history could have only happened at a very specific time, which was in sort of like a five year time span between like 2004 and 2009, I guess up till 2010 really. But it's just just kind of funny because because of the way social media is now, people can kind of get away with doing a lot more because people don't think it's weird. Everyone's sort of expected, if you have any sort of B-list celebrity fame, to like throw a curveball and show up with some other random talent that people didn't expect you to have. Whereas back in the early 2000s, you actually had to promote this shit. (laughs) Instead of just like post an Instagram story like, I have a single out. It's like, no, you have to like go on MTV News. Oh, yeah. No, that's a, that's going to be a really good point as we get into this. If social media was not yet a primary marketing tool. So yeah, actually, that contributes a lot to this. So shall we get into it? <laughs> yeah. So obviously, to start this off, we have to start with Lindsay Lohan, because I think that Lindsay Lohan's career trajectory is a wild roller coaster ride. Because compared to the other women we're going to be focusing on today, like Lindsay Lohan was super well respected in her career. 
and her career was very much on an uphill climb. But unfortunately for Lindsay Lohan, she came from a very broken family. She didn't have a very good background and she very much sort of fell into a version of the Disney industrial complex of a family with not very much going for it, not really understanding the entertainment business, but also her mom was like a mega momager, like fully just like, you're gonna make money for our family. And all the Lohan kids, except for one, had some sort of foot in the door. I didn't know this. Yeah. The Lohan children that I'm aware of are, first you have Lindsay, who right now is 35. Then you have Michael Lohan Jr., who's 33. Then you have Allie Lohan, who's 27. And Cody Lohan, who's 25. Michael Lohan is like a normal person doesn't really exist in pop culture. Allie tried her hand at pop music. She and her mom did a reality show for one season and Cody is a model. But Allie Lohan is like the one that her mom was also sort of just like, she looks like Lindsay. Let's pitch her. Let's make her have a career as well. Because her mom was very much just like, we're gonna make money off these kids. We're gonna make them. Wow. (laughs) Workhorses for us. Yeah. What a mindset for having children. It's also just like that weird mindset of, oh, I'm going to have kids because who else is going to take care of me when I get old, which I feel like is also sort of that generation's thought process behind children. Yeah. And so Lindsay Lohan started acting in 1992. She's been in Sesame Street. She started in some TV show called Another World. Obviously, most people know her from The Parent Trap. She was in Get a Clue. She was in Freaky Friday, Mean Girls, etc. And the thing is, is that I feel like by the time Lindsay Lohan was in Mean Girls, so many people were like, oh, Lindsay Lohan is a staple to like the American pop culture history. But Lindsay Lohan wasn't actually in that much stuff that people would know her from. I don't know what this show is, Another World, but I was too young to to have known. But after that, then you have The Parent Trap in 1998. And then you have Get a Clue in 2002, Freaky Friday 2003, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen 2004, Mean Girls 2004. And then Lindsay Lohan's career kind of tapers off by accident. Well, it's kind of crazy because she would have been 18 when Mean Girls came out in 2004 so she was like age appropriate for that movie but that's an interesting because like considering that we did our Disney industrial complex episode about how Miley and Demi and Selena all like when you graduate from being a teenager you know when you're 18 and then you become an adult they kind of spiral and so I don't know it's just interesting the timeline lines up with Lindsay also yeah no it is because that's the thing is it's like after Mean Girls the next movie she did was Herbie Fully Loaded which was a weird jump to go from Mean Girls, which is very much a teen adult film, yes, <laughs> to Herbie Fully Loaded, which was fully for children. And she just continued to be in movies that didn't really do well after Mean Girls. And so the interesting thing also is that, and this is where our podcast comes into play and why this isn't nonsense that we're talking about this. So 2004 was a weird year in the career of Lindsay Lohan, because as we already said, Mean Girls came out, which was a huge success. And I think sort of primed the world for Lindsay Lohan's debut into more teen-centered, like adult-leaning film roles. And instead of Lindsay now appearing in a film every like three to six months, which I feel like most of the time you can expect from a starlet who's in demand, she in 2004 also tries her hand at being a pop star. We already know from Freaky Friday that Lindsay Lohan can sing. And then also from Confessions of the Teenage drama queen which was basically a musical we already know that she has vocal chops and so it's not really a shock that Lindsay lohan decided to try and become a pop star but she releases this album called speak which sold over a million copies in the united states and it received mixed reviews from music critics and i feel like there was just a lot of judgment and this is a thing and sort of what i had stated earlier is like i feel like now in 2021 when people think of Lindsay lohan rather than thinking of her promising acting career they think of her as this mess who was getting drunk and having DUIs and saying nonsense about Paris Hilton and disappearing from the internet and the world and then coming back with like a weird accent and having all these like weird choices in her persona when she would reappear to the public. And I feel like a lot of people forget what Lindsay Lohan has gone through in her life. So I just really quickly want to give some more background. So there was this article on BuzzFeed News 
written by Sachi Cool in 2019 called What Happened to Lindsay Lohan. And so she gives more insight into what Lindsay Lohan's family life was like. And so basically like how I was saying, it's like the Lohan family didn't come from money like a lot of the other people who were getting famous around the same time as Lindsay's was. Like their families all sort of came from a more industry know-how sort of background. And so basically what Sachi writes is the Lohans, meanwhile, became famous for being awful, intrusive stage parents. Lindsay's mother, Dina, a momager long before Kris Jenner turned the concept into a career, has long been accused of exploiting Lohan, including by enabling her bad behavior, drinking with her, and claiming she was doing just fine when the public records seemed to tell a very different story. The established narrative around Lohan was written long before she was old enough to start contributing to it herself. Her father was a deadbeat, her mother was fame-hungry, and Lohan was likely keeping the family afloat financially, merely a tool in their ongoing divorce and attempts to become rich and famous. She also in this article writes about how Lindsay's father was known to be abusive, mostly to his wife Dina, but also potentially towards Lindsay. So there definitely was a lot of turmoil going on in her home life, so I feel like that information sort of makes it a lot more understanding why Lindsay had the meltdown that she did because also if you look at her IMDb like this girl was working and she was working hard and the paparazzi was just following her everywhere and paying like a ton of attention to her and I mean personally I as like a child so I was like 12 when Speak came out I loved this album I listened to this album all of the time, I was like, Lindsay Lohan is everything. But I also was 12. So I'm not in the same know-how of the pop culture knowledge that I have at this point in life then, other than like going to the supermarket with my mother and reading the cover of like Us Weekly and People. <laughs> and so I think that Lindsay Lohan is just really interesting in regards to a lot of this because as I said, like most of us think about Lindsay's multiple DUIs and her drug issues and her alcohol addiction and going to rehab and all the stuff. The first time that Lindsay Lohan went to rehab, it was for a drug rehab program. And this was in January of 2007. And the first time that Lindsay Lohan was arrested for a DUI was in May of 2007. So this is when she starts being in the tabloids and the blogs and all over the internet for being more of a rowdy person. But that doesn't mean that that's the first time that the paparazzi and everybody is following her because on that first album she had her single rumors which if you watch the video is like paparazzi following her she's at a club they're taking photos of her they will not leave her alone it's relentless and that's what the whole song is about as well and so her whole career was just the paparazzi waiting for her to slip up and we've talked about that same thing with Miley and the rest of the Disney girls because we had the Paris Hiltons the Britney Spearses the Lindsay Lohans five to ten years prior who also it was like this was the heyday of the tabloid and so you have these people who are just waiting and hoping for somebody to fuck up so that they can make money off of them that makes a lot of sense. I've never thought about it in this context before, but even with us doing like the Britney Christina episode recently, it makes so much sense. And Britney came from a similar background. Britney didn't come from money. She didn't come from the Hollywood family lifestyle. And they both had similar trajectories after turning 1820, you know? So it's really crazy. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it just makes me think. Cause I mean, we're gonna talk about Paris Hilton later and like, you know, Kim Kardashian, but even like, Nicole Richie coming from a wealthy Hollywood family, you have certain protections in place because your parents went through it, because your parents know what to look out for, what to protect you from, whereas Lindsay and Britney did not have this know-how. So I don't know. It's a really interesting common factor here. Yeah. And I mean, also in this BuzzFeed article, she pulled a quote from a publication called Slant, who, who called Lindsay's album Speak one giant market researched disaster, which... <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting again because as I said it's like at that point in time Lindsay Lohan other than Mean Girls being out was still mostly been in movies for kids and I don't necessarily think that this album is like kid friendly in the yeah. same way that a lot of Britney's early stuff was but I feel like as somebody who very much enjoyed Lindsay Lohan's music career because she did have two albums I just feel like people ignore again and this obviously wasn't stated anywhere but again I feel like they're ignoring 
discovering that there are a bunch of preteens with babysitting money who are going to go and buy Lindsay Lohan's albums. And it's just, again, like the fangirl demographic gets ignored in regards to everything where it's like her career still could have done well, but the media already has this idea of who she is. So they're just like, okay, no, no, thank you. (laughs) Like who asked for this? And I feel like that's the common consensus throughout most of these things. It's like who wanted this? And it's like the teenagers who were buying the confessions of a teenage drama queen soundtrack. So you just said like her album sold a million copies. It peaked at number four on the Billboard 200, which is a big deal, right? And so then we think of like Britney and NSYNC and Justin and like the types of albums they were selling and like all those albums did extremely well in the charts as well. And it's like, why did someone like Justin Timberlake have a solo career where the media did not like the record, but the general public did? And then he went on to became a huge star. Whereas we see the same thing with Lindsay. Her record did really well with the public. The media maybe didn't like it as much, but she tanked. Why? I just feel like there's so much, as we say all the time, it's like the way that men are allowed to succeed when women aren't is so shocking of just how much more leeway they're given when things aren't that good or things aren't quote unquote media acceptable or whatever. Whereas women aren't really given the leeway to mess up or do something that's not an A plus. It's like if a woman releases a B grade album, it's like, oh no, never again. Whereas if a man releases a B great album they're like give us more baby we love it okay so the question i just asked people might say well Lindsay lohan is an addict or like she's a mess all this stuff like that being an answer for why she didn't do well like no 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 that's a symptom of all of this justin timberlake also came from nothing he did not have a hollywood family either and yet Lindsay lohan all of these extra pressures all of the the media the paparazzi all of it whereas like those things add to the demise right whereas with justin and Timberlake, you have Barbara Walters being like, oh, Britney broke your heart. Poor baby. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it never gets old, does it? No, never. But this is also the thing is like in the early 2000s, during the heyday of like Perez Hilton and Gawker and all these sorts of sites that literally are maggots to celebrity meltdowns. And so something that should be a blip becomes their whole entire story. And so Lindsay Lohan being in this weird, uncomfortable place where she just had this huge success of Mean Girls. She releases this album that was pretty successful. And then the choices she makes for movies following Mean Girls are all mostly flops. And so you have this situation where it's not really anybody's fault because most of these movies on paper should have been good. Like, Just My Luck is starring her and Chris Pine. It's a very on-the-nose rom-com. If that movie had come out, like, three years earlier when rom-coms were in their height, that movie yeah. would have been a quintessential rom-com movie that everybody talks about. Because it's not a bad movie, and I'm not just saying that because McFly's in it. <laughs> Well, no, it's true. I mean, this is basically same thing we talked about with Britney, the same thing we talked about with the Disney Channel stars. It's like the mid to late 2000s. Everything was changing a lot because of the internet and social media. So it's like you said, things that would have worked three years prior are not working anymore. And so I think this was kind of one of those things where like everyone was behind the times of like doing things that they knew worked and that just wasn't going to happen anymore. And I mean, that also is a factor in how how careers like Lindsay Lohan's and Britney Spears played out. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's sad because I think that if she hadn't been under such a microscope by these tabloid people and her acting career, like she made some weird missteps like she did, I 100% think that her music career could have taken over her acting. And then at some point, once she got her footing back with picking the right acting roles, that she could have gone back and been a successful actress again. Because most of them weren't necessarily bombs. They just weren't as loved or did as well as Mean Girls did. And so I think that because she was already being viewed as like, oh, she's a party girl. She's doing all this stuff. Like we're waiting for her to completely fuck up. I think that that mindset was in place already for these music critics because this is the thing. And what I've really noticed in us doing lots of research, especially back to the early 2000s sort of stuff, it's like music critics were taken really seriously. And so I think that they probably had a bit 
of a feeling of grandeur when it came to these things. And so they're like, oh, well, this is a judged person. This person isn't that respected right now. Can we like listen to this with fresh ears? I don't think that they could. I think that a lot of the negative comments that Speak got and that her singles got and all that sort of stuff directly in response to people being like, I don't want to be judged for liking Lindsay Lohan's music. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so the other thing that Sachi mentioned in this BuzzFeed long read, which is a really, really interesting article, she acknowledged how of the party girls of this pop culture era, Lindsay Lohan had the hardest time recovering from all of this. And I feel like most people are very aware of this, where it's like Paris Hilton right now is having a resurgence of people loving her and being like, wow, we judged you so unfairly. Or like Kim Kardashian's whole career, like Kim Kardashian became famous is by having a sex tape put out and her mom being like, oh, we're going to profit off of this. This is going to become a business thing. Because Kim Kardashian started out in Hollywood as Paris Hilton's assistant. So you have these things where these women were judged really harshly and then these women were able and given the opportunity to change the public's viewpoint of them. They were able to get the media to do a 180 on their feelings on them. And so I think it's really interesting because Lindsay Lohan has tried multiple times to start a redemption narrative around her career and the world was just kind of like no thanks we like you being a train wreck and so now whenever Lindsay shows up it's kind of something embarrassing where you have that moment where she tried to like kidnap a Syrian child because she thought that her mom was selling her into sex trafficking like you have all this weird shit that she's coming out of the woodworks with where we're just like what is going on here and I mean in 2014 there was a documentary series with her and Oprah where Oprah tried to help her like intervene in Lindsay Lohan's career and sort of put her on the right track and the world just wasn't receptive to it and then you recently had her coming back with like Lindsay Lohan's beach club or whatever where she like bought a beach club in Mykonos and hired people and the reality show was like half Vanderpump Rules half Lindsay Lohan trying to prove that she can have like dinner soirees and so it's just this weird thing and I mean in between all of this I think it was 2014 or 2015 Lindsay Lohan did a West End play in London which I saw her in which was very weird it was a very serious play she did a decent job but her accent was very confused which has also been a thing that's been going on for the past like 10 years of her career is like every time she shows up she has a new accent but that was like a weird pop culture moment to be able to watch happen of her trying to make like a serious actor comeback in live theater because you could tell that she was scared shitless and that she was constantly thinking of are these people judging me because the Mm. play was wasn't bad and she didn't do a bad job but it was one of those things where unlike in musicals where when somebody does something good there's like clapping it's like when you see a play if somebody recites a good monologue you're not going to really clap because it takes away from the play and so I think that in doing this I feel like she was expecting like a live reaction to her succeeding or doing well and I don't know it was just like a weird thing to like watch happen well it is really interesting that you mentioned that but I also feel like this Lindsay Lohan scenario is kind of like the Amanda Bynes scenario where like they keep popping up at random moments and they keep not functioning like a normal human being and everyone is just like are they okay like what is going on like I don't understand and I think part of it is just like the whole thing of being famous at such a young age I think does numbers on you developmentally honestly And, and I think not every person is cut out for that like can handle that type of pressure and just all of it and so it turns into this situation where people like Amanda Bynes and Lindsay Lohan have very much become this like public figure to gawk at. It's like, oh my God, they're such a train wreck. What are they doing next? And they can never catch a break. And like, honest, I don't even know if it's like the public not letting them catch a break or if there are like seriously just a lot of like personal or like mental health issues they're going with where they aren't going to be able to recover from and like that's okay like not everyone has to recover from it but it's just the public not even allowing them to give them that space i was thinking also about amanda Bynes while reading about Lindsay lohan stuff and i think that also a really big difference is that with Lindsay lohan and with everything that was happening the mental health conversation still wasn't there the me too movement still hadn't really happened so you have all these things where things are happening that was still acceptable to the general public to be made fun of or to be sort of treated as a joke for having these issues and so it wasn't like oh wow we're worried about Lindsay that she keeps relapsing maybe there's something up with her 
her mental health. It's like, LOL, Lindsay keeps relapsing. She keeps using drugs again. Like when she went on David Letterman and he quite literally was just making fun of her for going to rehab and she had to stand up for herself. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you also have the situation where she was engaged to a man who was abusing her and everybody was like aware and she was like crying for help, but it still was funny for that to happen for some reason. And so nothing happened. And then like later on when she did this MTV show about her Mykonos club, like she talked about it and she was like, I literally was crying for help and everybody just kind of thought it was a joke. And so you have these situations where because it wasn't cool or normal to talk about how these things are bad in mainstream media, instead everything became a butt of a joke. Whereas Amanda Bynes is definitely unwell. She's also in a conservatorship. So that's a whole other story. And so I think that Amanda Bynes trying to come back. We're now in this place where like we're okay with people talking about their mental health. It's not stigmatized as much. So I feel like people are being kinder to Amanda Bynes. But Amanda Bynes doesn't have the same ability to actually make a comeback because I don't think she has as much control as we're aware of. But like that's also very like gray area. I mean we could literally talk about Lindsay Lohan forever. But I think think we should go on to some other women because I think as I said like we have these other women who were around at the same time being talked about in the tabloids at the same time as Lindsay who were given the opportunity to have a redemption arc in the pop culture zeitgeist of things and then you have somebody who's in the sort of middle ground who not necessarily had a redemption arc but was so much loved as like a reality tv show villain that she hasn't had to and so that leads us to Heidi Montag otherwise known as Heidi Pratt or Spidey if you want to go by couple names who got her start on MTV's The Hills who was best friends with Lauren Conrad and on The Hills we watched this fresh-faced relatively likable woman become a reality TV show villain get into a relationship with a man that we're told to not like but like I still don't know if Spencer Pratt is actually a bad person or if it was just really good TV editing and you sort of watch her have this downward spiral of reality TV show fame making her feel like she's not good enough. And so you watch this, again, as I said, like fresh-faced, excited woman become a shell of a person, go through countless plastic surgery procedures, all this stuff to sort of fit the image that she thinks you're supposed to fit in if you want to be famous. And so it's it's more so a tragedy than anything. It's just really sad when you think about it with that perspective. Talking about that right now, I'm like, wow, it is a tragedy. Wow. (laughs) So basically, you're introduced to Heidi Montag as this character on the hills. She's working in PR and her whole sort of personality is working in media in that way in Hollywood. But obviously... Since this is a music podcast, Heidi Montag's true love and interest and what she wanted to do was be a pop star. So Jenna, would you like to tell us a bit about Heidi Montag's pop star dreams? Oh boy, are they big. (laughs) So The Hills ran from 2006 to July of 2010. And in the beginning of that year, January 2010, Heidi puts out her debut album, Superficial, which she spent over $2.7 million on making it independently, not with a record label, and it sold less than 1,000 copies. Less than 1,000 copies, okay? (laughs) So she personally invested a lot of money in this, and she had this belief that she was going to be like the next Britney Spears because, you know, she was super passionate about this. She had this audience already from the Hills MTV show, and that's just not how it played out. And the sad thing was, was that this isn't a bad album. And in fact, at this point in music history, it's viewed as a very much like cult classic album. A lot of SoundCloud pop artists use this album as inspiration for a lot of their music, which I find very interesting. And the thing is, is that like a large reason why this album didn't do as well is because the conversation in the media around Heidi Montag at this time was about the fact that she had undergone 10 plastic surgeries and because also her going under and doing all this also made it so that she couldn't do performances straight away to promote the album and so you have this issue where for some reason she kind of sabotaged herself by announcing that she had gone and gotten all of this plastic surgery prior to 
the album release. And like I said, I don't 100% understand. And like, if you've watched The Hills or anything, most people who know Heidi don't understand why she went through all of these procedures. But my main thing as just a fan of music and somebody who's interested in pop culture is I don't get why you would put almost $3 million worth of money into creating an album and also at that same time get plastic surgery, which you know is probably going to make it harder for you to have the focus on your music. Well, she obviously didn't know that. Because she wouldn't have done it. I don't think so. Because like based off of the way that she talked about it, she very much was like, no, I needed to look this way. Like this is what I needed to look like. Yeah. So she didn't know that it was going to hurt her. She didn't know it was going to sabotage her if that's what she believed. I don't think that she knew it was going to like sabotage her, but she knew that the focus would be on the plastic surgery. You know that that the plastic surgery is going to be the focus because of the way that tabloids talk about these people. Like the music is never going to be the focus if you come out with a new face. It's always going to be like... she hadn't announced the plastic surgery and just was like going on tv performances the whole discussion still would have been like does Heidi have a new face she was promoting her music but does Heidi have a new face like that would always have been the discourse around it would have been Heidi's new look rather than Heidi's new music yeah so it was bad timing on her part but like that was an oversight yeah so she also spent three years on this record. So this is another scenario where if it had came out in 2007, it might have had a very different response. But in 2010, nobody cared about pop girlies. So there's that. And she also did this interview in 2010 with Entertainment Weekly in which she compares her album to Michael Jackson's Thriller, saying that she spent just as much time, maybe even more than Thriller. She goes on to say, every detail was very important to me because I take this very seriously. Most artists, it's not their own money, but I've actually gone broke, putting every dollar I've made and my heart and soul into this music. I have a different appreciation and understanding and a different love of my music and my album than any other artist possibly could. And that's because it's my own money. This is my gamble and my chance. And so EW says, you've gone broke? And she says, yes, I definitely have. And then they say, what happens if you don't earn your money back? And Heidi Montag says, that's not even a possibility. I think within the first week, we'll definitely make our money back. The songs will make an impact in history. They're absolutely incredible and everybody involved is the best of the best. People just haven't seen me as a pop star. And then EW says, if the album doesn't do as well as you hope, will you still pursue a music career? And she said, definitely. I think it's going to do great. I have a million Twitter followers and they're all very excited. So that's at least a million people right there. It also takes time. I don't expect it to be instant, but maybe it's the biggest album in a couple months or a couple years, but I'll never stop making music. This is the first of many to come as long as I can keep affording it and keep doing it because it's my love and passion. Okay, number one. The album did this not is do heartbreaking. great. It is heartbreaking. But this is the thing. Having a million followers on Twitter does not mean a million people are going to listen to your music. Those two things do not equate. And number two, it also doesn't mean that a million people are even fans of yours enough to want to listen to music from you. So there's definitely a fault in that thinking there. But it is very sad because you can see how passionate she is about this being her love and lifeblood and what she's always wanted to do. It's just so sad. And I think also, obviously, I don't even know, like, it's just so wild to me that it sold so little copies. There was an article that I read that it sold exactly 646, like, albums, but, like, I don't, I I couldn't find that article again, so I'm not saying that that's fact, because everywhere else was, like, less than a thousand, so I don't really know. But it's just so sad because she cared so much about this music, and I feel like there was so much overshadowing of this album coming out, and so much of, uh, Heidi's a villain, we don't like Heidi, we're team Lauren, Lauren's better, that she just wasn't even given a chance. Because if you listen to this album, it's very reminiscent of Paris Hilton's music, which we're going to get into this in a bit, but like Paris Hilton's music was very much like critics were like shocked and horrified how much they enjoyed Paris Hilton's music. And so I just don't really understand where there was this like lapse, but I think Jenna made a really good point in that in 2010, pop girlies just weren't viewed in the same light. Like you have this time period where women in pop music wasn't as exciting of a thing as it is right now or that it was in the earlier 2000s and it's just it's just sad because I don't think they're bad people but I do think it's interesting how compared to Lindsay Lohan like Heidi was judged mercilessly she was made fun of in the tabloids she was harassed and just ridiculed for her life choices and yet her career never really faltered in regards to her being like a 
B to C list reality star. Like her and Spencer have made appearances on countless shows, including like Celebrity Big Brother in the UK. And right now they're on The Hills New Beginnings. And so she's always had some sort of steady career in the reality TV world. And it's one of those things where being viewed as a villain sort of paid off. Because I think that if she hadn't been viewed as a villain and then she got all this plastic surgery done and did all this questionable stuff, I think that that would have completely stopped her career in general. But it is just really sad that she was so passionate about music. And this album isn't really as bad as I think everybody says it was. (laughs) And yet they were so mean that she never went back to music. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so, I mean, to your point, the album maybe wasn't that bad, but... In a way, it might have been perceived as quite vanilla because if we do look at what artists were popular in 2010, it's Kesha's TikTok, Katy Perry, California Girls, and Lady Gaga, Bad Romance. And all of these three pop stars have very unique personas and very different personas from each other. And Lady Gaga and Katy Perry are both very weird. Kesha's like the party girl. And Heidi Montag is basically just repeating what Britney Spears did. So maybe it was also like the lack of originality, but... I do think the reality show had a big hand in kind of how this was perceived because in 2018, she did an interview with Life and Style in which she says, I think people have no idea that I spent hours and days working on Superficial. Like when everyone else on the hills was going shopping, I was in the studio. I hardly had a break at all. I went right from filming to the studio and I really wanted it to sound like me. And it was important to take a step back and really take the time with it. And so she said she worked on this for three years. So like since like 2007-ish, while the show was going on and they also like go to point out in this article that they were never allowed to like quote unquote break the fourth wall within the hills show so it's like Heidi was never able to go on the show and like talk about how she was making music or talk about how this is what she wanted to do she was basically just this character that they wrote for her even though it was a quote unquote reality show so I think that hindered her a lot and she even said in this same interview I think people just didn't want to give it a chance and there were so many people on team Lauren at that time that they were just like no I don't want to hear it anyway she's not friends with Lauren this is the one thing that a lot of people didn't really understand or want to understand is that when a show because the hills was a quote-unquote scripted reality show and so because I am obsessed with Made in Chelsea I'm aware of what that means and basically what that means is that while these people are living real lives like the relationships they have on the tv show continue to exist when the cameras stop rolling etc etc this isn't something that just doesn't exist outside of the show you have these people who are put into a situation where they'll be like oh we'll give you an extra thousand dollars to throw a drink on this person at this party or they'll be like oh show up at this time in this place you're gonna meet up with a person but we're not gonna tell you who that person is and so while they aren't necessarily given a script they're given like this is your character's idea you can't talk about anything else that's going on in real life and so you have all these situations where while they're not reading from a script everything's set up and predetermined for how the show's going to go And so Heidi is never really allowed to have a villain redemption arc or have these things where it's like, oh, she's dealing with this because of XYZ because Lauren's the main character, not Heidi. And so whatever helps Lauren's narrative be continued needs to continue happening. And so there is no really getting 
another viewpoint of things because of the certain personas. And I mean, it really affected her. Also in this life and style thing, Heidi said that her label was calling MTV asking if she could perform on the VMAs. And they were like, we're ready to push Heidi and put a lot of money behind her as a music star. So if we can get you guys on board, like that'd be great. And MTV was just like, no. And so she's just like, I could have been performing at the VMAs and my music career could have been exactly what I thought it would have been. But MTV refused to get on board. And then the record label was like, look, our hands are tied at this point. So there's not much we can do for you. We can't push you like a normal artist because MTV's blocking you. Because MTV is are the people putting on the hills and MTV is like, Heidi's a villain, not a pop star. And so you just have everything putting up unnecessary barriers and not giving you the opportunity to actually try and take your music career seriously because they're like, no, you play a role in something that makes us a shit ton of money already. We can't change that idea of you. But also this was 2010 and she just said she had a million Twitter followers. So like, I feel like once again, this is the traditional model of like what's worked in the past for us to push pop stars is for you to go on the VMAs. But since we can't do that, I guess there's no other options. And it's like, she has a million Twitter followers. (laughs) Like y'all have never done any social media campaigns in your whole life. This is where I think it's like, once again, behind the times thinking if they would have done something progressive with social, it could have worked. But I feel like we were still at that point where people were just like, what is social media? Yeah, I mean, that is very true. But also her like one performance was on like Miss Universe. And then she's talking about like, yeah, I might get to perform at the World Cup next year. And it's like, your fans are not at either of those places. Like they're sending her (laughs) to very high profile, weird other reality TV things. But it's like, she needs to like build an audience directly with the people who actually enjoy her music. And you do that by playing small clubs. Like, hello. Yeah, it's just sad. And it's weird feeling bad for Heidi Montag because I feel like we're so brainwashed into not liking her when you pay any attention to pop culture-ness. But it's just sad because she was really passionate about it. And I feel like on the other hand, you have Paris Hilton who is very much like the world is taught to not trust her because of a persona that she has going on on television. But that's the thing is that this is a persona and now as we're being allowed to get to know Paris Hilton as a human, and we're humanizing Paris Hilton over the past like two to four years. We're being given this insight that I feel like people who actually liked her, speaking from personal experience, (laughs) knew the whole time. Because so in like 2003 is when the world sort of is really introduced to Paris Hilton. Obviously she's the heiress to the Hilton Hotel is a fortune. And she had sort of been a socialite and in the public eye from like the late 90s. But Paris Hilton is really introduced into the the living rooms of the American public in 2003 at the age of 21, 22 with the reality show Simple Life, which was her and Nicole Richie, who both come from very rich families, get sent out into the world to like realize how the other half lives. And so the first season of this, you see them living with like a rural community in Arkansas, learning how to like work on a farm and deal with like pig shit and the haystacks and all this sort of stuff and you're introduced to these personas of Paris and Nicole of them being two like ditzy blondes who have no idea how the world works their whole thing is them wearing like juicy track suits they're supposed to be just like we're too rich to have a brain sort of idea and so Paris Hilton really takes the dumb blonde bimbo trope to this next higher level including the catchphrase that's hot which is like her response to anything she thinks is cool and interesting. But very soon after the debut of The Simple Life, you have Paris Hilton's sex tape One Night in Paris come out, which is, I think, released by the man that she slept with. Like, she had no part in this. So basically, like, the sex tape was a hit. Everybody loved it. And because of that, everybody tuned into The Simple Life, which the first episode had 13 million viewers, and it was shown on Fox. And so Fox's viewership between ages of 18 to 49 went up by 79% because of the Simple Life airing on their channel after the success of One Night in Paris. 
So the Simple Life aired from 2003 to 2007. So you're saying her sex tape came out before 2003, like before it the show aired? It came out in 2003. The series premiered on December 2nd, 2003, which was very soon after One Night in Paris came out. Basically, people's first impressions to her are sex tape and dumb blonde. So that's exactly what they think of her. Yeah. And this is the thing is it's like Paris Hilton, as I said, her character on The Simple Life was that. It was a character that Paris Hilton invented and it was a persona that she used in order to sort of be able to coexist as herself and also this character on The Simple Life. But the issue was, was that a lot of the public didn't understand because they didn't care about Paris Hilton. They just wanted to watch this dumb rich person have to pick up horse shit and like milk cows and other stuff. And so the viewpoint was, was like, oh, she's just a dumb blonde. But I mean, her career honestly is pretty impressive because the fact that most people became aware of her because of a sex tape while on The Simple Life she was acting she was on the TV show Raising Helen she also released an autobiography that had a co-writer so she was talking about her life as an heiress and I mean she even hosted Saturday Night Live in 2005 so like she was a big member of the pop culture conversation and it was never so much that people didn't like her but it was always that people judged her because she was like this party girl and she was like wiling out and doing all of this crazy stuff but at the same time it's like she was succeeding in everything she did like she was being successful on the acting front she was successful in the reality tv front she was successful in even her books like everything that she put out people were eating it up because Paris Hilton was like our first real taste of just like somebody being famous for like no discernible reason in the era of tv and social media starting to really be a thing and it's really no surprise that with all of her success in books and television and even movies that Paris Hilton, who was interested in music, decided to try her hand at becoming a pop star. And so on August 22nd, 2006, we have the release of Paris's self-titled debut album, Paris. This album reached number six on the Billboard 200 and sold over 600,000 copies worldwide. And in 2006, 600,000 copies is pretty good because she did still chart number six on the Billboard Top 200. And while there definitely was a response to the record, I think that the bigger response and the bigger conversation was around her debut single off this album, which is the song Stars Are Blind. Yeah, so what's really interesting about this whole thing, and we kind of mentioned this with Heidi Montag as well, is that Stars Are Blind has kind of become a very iconic song over the years. And so in 2020, Paris did an interview with Bustle in which she points out that on The Simple Life, she had invented this character and she said she knew exactly what she was doing and she says so I was always laughing all the way to the bank <laughs> and so I think this whole thing this whole Paris Hilton situation of people being like oh my god she's a dumb blonde meanwhile she's like raking in money is such like a <laughs> long con of her being like haha they think I'm dumb but really <laughs> they're making me so much money so it doesn't even matter what they think <laughs> and this writer Samantha Leach goes on to say that Stars Are Blind was well produced and felt wholly authentic to Hilton and it was a bonafide bop and then Paris says for the music it was never really about the character it was always about me as an artist when I do music I take it seriously which sounds very familiar to what we heard with Heidi and so this song was so iconic both in good and bad ways because during the first week of Paris's debut release Banksy the famous unknown graffiti artist replaced 500 copies of the album with an alternative version that included satirical songs like why am I famous and an updated cover that was a photo of Paris Hilton topless. And so Samantha's asking Paris like how she felt about it, how she remembers it. And Paris goes on to say, Banksy is an iconic artist and I thought it was really cool that he would take the time to go get 500 copies of my album and do that to them. I've actually been trying to buy one because they keep going up for auction and they're very limited edition. And I thought it was awesome that he did that. So it's really funny because Banksy was very much taking the piss out of Paris Hilton, making fun of her, especially with the like, (laughs) why am I famous single? And she was like, no, honestly, it was cool that he did that. Just added to my clout. truly so iconic of both of them. So in this interview, she continues to say that to this day, the song makes her really proud and that she says, everyone's like, oh my God, that's my summer song. People like Madonna, Lady Gaga have all told her it's one of their favorite songs. So as I said, even though at the time there was like bad criticism, it still very much inspired other pop stars. Like that's probably one of the best scenarios you could get from being a reality TV person and then like making your musical 
people debut. It's funny because obviously now Paris Hilton is making this huge comeback and people respect her now and they're like, oh, we always loved her. We always thought she was awesome, whatever. And so she's doing all these features. And it's funny because obviously the way people talked about Paris when this album came out and when she was getting fame was very much talking about her like she was stupid and like she didn't have much going for her. And so basically because this Paris album has become such a cult classic, they reissued it on vinyl in 2020. And so Pitchfork obviously did a review on it. And so Rich Jezwiak for Pitchfork did a review. And it's just funny because like when you look back on articles written about Paris at this time of the release of the album and just in general, they're not being very nice about her because again, her persona is this dumb, dizzy blonde and they're just like, oh, she's famous for no reason, whatever. And so it's funny seeing this man who, because it's Pitchfork, probably would have been a bit of an ass about the album when it came out, now sort of talking about it with these like 2020, oh, Paris Hilton's having a redemption arc sort of glasses. And so he writes, at the time of its release, Paris seemed like a lark, a trifling vanity project for someone who is making a mint off of merely existing. Deadpan and clipped, Hilton didn't seem even particularly engaged or enthusiastic about doing it. Already a tabloid staple, reality TV star, and absorber of paparazzi flashbulbs, Hilton was trying on pop stardom like a new pair of Louboutins that she'd soon discard. And then he goes, for all the space Hilton sucked up and never gave anything of substance back to, Stars of Blind made it sort of worth it. (laughs) And so it's just like, he's such an ass about her in general, but he's also just like, oh, but this song is good. (laughs) Because it is a good song. And it's just so funny because it's like, everything about this album and everything about this one particular song in general, you can't ignore that it's fucking good pop music. And because it came out in 2006, they didn't. There was absolutely no excuses for being rude about this album because pop music was at its height. Rich goes on to say, Paris is a concept album whose concept is, what if Paris Hilton made an album? With absolutely no surprises to offer, it's committed extension of her brand, an album as giant and empty and theoretically iconic as a deflated Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon. It seems consciously blank, like an answer to an interview question Hilton hates, but is too poised to ignore. And Hilton has writing credits on five of its 10 original songs. So this is kind of funny to me the way he's talking about this, even though like Sarah, you just said this was like a good pop album. He's calling it vapid. He's calling it empty, blank, nothingness, (laughs) just like her character. And I'm honestly wondering if she felt, well, no, because, okay. So at first I was wondering if this was kind of like an extension of her character of just like playing into it. But we just saw in that Bustle interview, she says that she takes her art very seriously and it's not a character. So I don't know what conclusions to draw here about why he's being so rude. I think it's just one of those things where it's funny because it's like very self-aware rudeness compared to like the way that people were rude. So like in this Guardian review by Alexis Petridis in 2006, where the review is just like, for women apparently ill-suited to anything more taxing than standing around nightclubs in a pair of really enormous sunglasses, Paris Hilton is quite the polymyth. So I think that it's the thing of, it's so hard to admit that somebody who seems this two-dimensional to actually be a three-dimensional character with lots of interests and lots going on. And so I think there's still, obviously, especially for somebody at Pitchfork, like you can't expect them to be kind about anything. I think that it probably pained this man to have to view Paris Hilton with like the 2020 goggles of things of being like, oh shit, like she's a real person. And so I just think it's really funny of like how just the whole thing about it, because at no point is there anybody who like takes themselves too seriously writing anything that can be perceived as genuinely nice about her but it is hard to say anything really genuinely bad about this album because it is just cut and dry good pop music. I mean it is funny that also in this Guardian article they write Hilton has been quick to point out that singing is a vocation for which she's eminently skilled quote I know music she reassures the Sunday Times children's section I hear it every single day (laughs) and so they're kind of taking the piss out of her she's like I know music so even though they made fun of her then she truly has had this redemption arc to the point where we get this 2020 bustle interview and others like it where she's able to like show how actually smart she is and still be appreciated for her music so she's kind of an anomaly in that way but it is really cool that we get to see how this redemption arc has played out 
And I just love that because of how much forward momentum we have made in the media world of things of like there being more space for women to be viewed as full humans and for mental health to be something that we talk about and that Paris Hilton was allowed to make a documentary about all the abuse that she's been through and everything that she's faced throughout her whole career. Like I just think it's really incredible that women like her who were so maligned at the start of their careers are now allowed to have complete redemptions and given the opportunity to be viewed as a three-dimensional person instead of just this idea of a human. And I think Kim Kardashian is a perfect example of this because, again, you have somebody who, while Heidi and Paris full-on went into making full albums and being like, music is what I want to do, you have Kim dipping a toe into music while Kim is still sort of viewed as a C-list celebrity. And in this moment where if... Kim had been any more famous, like even the slightest bit more famous, I don't think we would ever have gotten Kim Kardashian trying to be a pop star for a teensy moment. And I just like love that all the cards lined up so that we could get Jam Turn It Up by Kim Kardashian. (laughs) In 2010, Kim Kardashian is slowly becoming a household name. Keeping Up With The Kardashians is doing a really good job for E! They have a spinoff called Courtney and Kim Take New York. And this is where we are given access to Kim Kardashian trying to become a pop star for a slight moment. And I'm just like, I'm so obsessed with this. And because Kim Kardashian is like shining so bright and there is so much potential for her career to really take off from her being just like an e-reality star to her being the household name that she's known as today, you're gonna have this thing where if Kim Kardashian says, I wanna make a pop song, everyone's gonna be like, how high do you want us to jump? Who do you want us to get you to work with? And most people are going to be like, yes, sign me up for this because it's going to look good no matter how bad the song does that you were the one chosen to work with Kim Kardashian because she has so much power to her name already even as just like a B to C list reality TV star. And so in this article from 2015 for Billboard written by Jason Lipschitz he writes before it it was released it seemed like the stars were aligned for Kim Kardashian to continue her quest to systematically overtake all of pop culture. The Dream told Billboard earlier this month that the decision to work with Kardashian was a no-brainer. When Kim asked me to do something with her, it was like, of course, you're one of the biggest people on earth. Why wouldn't I, he says. So basically, we have her following in the footsteps being like, oh, all these other reality stars have been putting out music because apparently also Polly G put out music. And so she's like, it's my turn. And so Megan Kirby for AV Club in 2016 also did a bit more of like a deep dive into this strange relic of Kim Kardashian's career. And so basically, while they were filming the Courtney and Kim take New York TV show. There's an episode that comes out in 2011 so obviously like this was filmed in 2010 and it follows a reluctant Kim to the recording studio. There she meets producer The Dream whose other credits include Beyonce's Single Ladies and Rihanna's Umbrella. From the start she's insistent one song, no albums, proceeds to charity. Cancer, she says vaguely in the episode. And so it goes like a lot of pop songs, Jam Turn It Up was written for no one. It was ultimately given to Kim. The plot of the song is simple. You're at the club and the DJ is playing your jam and you want them to turn it up. All Kim has to do is sing the lyrics and let autotune do the rest. But she's nervous at the mic. At one point, she flees the room and Courtney cajoles her back. In classic Kardashian fashion, the episode wraps with a tidy moral. And so I think it's just really funny that, like, Kim didn't really want to do this, but I think that she thought that it would be good for her career. It is interesting because it was such a massive flop. <laughs> <laughs> That she didn't want to do it, but it was like a, it was like a checklist of things because like you know she at this point she had already had like brand endorsements. There was like a book and like a part in Disaster Movie, a spot on Dancing with the Stars, sizable endorsement deals, athletic apparel. So she's already like ventured into other areas, and so like a song seems like her natural foray. But it's interesting that she was both reluctant, but also like knew she wanted to do one song and like that was it. And it's also interesting that she like originally went into it with the idea that it was going towards charity because as Jason Lupschitz points out in this billboard article Jam Turn It Up was widely derided by critics the New York Daily News called Kardashian quote the worst singer in reality TV universe in a headline while Vulture described her vocals as sounding as if they are emeating from a baby that is either very bored or very drugged (laughs) 
It never appeared on Billboard radio charts, including the dance charts, and the song has only sold 63,000 downloads at the time of this article. So how much money they actually raised for charity is uncertain. And so the thing is, is that there also was supposed to be a whole music video for this song, and it was supposed to also feature Kanye West because this song came out like a little bit before their relationship was like announced to the public but the video has never seen the light of day there's like a 15 second clip of said video that was shown from like a behind the scenes of that keeping up with the Kardashians spinoff that they mentioned in the AV club and so we never really got anything exciting wow it could have been an even bigger flop than it was (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the video looks kind of embarrassing, like from the short little clip, we'll link it in the show notes, but the short clip that there was of the music video, it looked like Kim was like on a bed, maybe, and we saw Kanye like behind the scenes at the filming as well. So I just think it's really interesting that we missed out on such an iconic pop culture moment because the song was just like very much hated and people were just like, no thanks, ma'am. Yeah, despite Kim singing on, the song was just kind of bad in general. So there wasn't a whole lot of potential to begin with, in my opinion. And then in 2014, she goes on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen and he's asking her about the song and she says, it's definitely a memory and it was a fun experience. We gave the proceeds to a cancer organization. She's like, if there's one thing in life, I wish I didn't do and she trails off and then she says I don't like it when people kind of dabble into things that they shouldn't and I don't think I should have done the song like what gave me the right to think I could be a singer like I don't have a good voice so she's very like self-aware but I mean Kim Kardashian has always been like a self-aware queen honestly like no matter how much you might dislike Kim Kardashian I feel like she's in on the joke in a lot of senses because just like Paris Hilton she's just rocking in the dough while people make fun of her and so I mean she very much has had like the biggest redemption arc because she also mostly got her fame from having a sex tape and now she has like a billion dollar empire and like as tv shows and clothing lines and all of this crazy stuff and so i just think the fact that we even get to acknowledge her on this podcast is pretty <laughs> pretty amusing it's so funny looking back now because of how famous kim kardashian is that there was a point in her career where they were like we need you to try every single possible route into fame to make you as famous as we possibly can and so we have this blip in kim kardashian's history of her making a pop song and that the world was mean to her and I just think it's so funny because even now with how much dumb shit she does with like appropriating other cultures and just saying stupid things and all of this stuff I don't think that they've ever been as mean to her as they were when when Jam Turn It Up came out and I just like it's just so funny no matter what Kim Kardashian does I feel like she got the most critique for a single that she released to raise money for charity and I feel like if anything sums up people's thoughts on Kim Kardashian that would be it that they're like this song is so bad but also I think it's interesting that Paris Hilton and Heidi Montag were both reality stars because we kind of can see the arc of the reality TV stars themselves of Paris Hilton then you have Heidi Montag and now Kim Kardashian Kim Kardashian being like one of the most well known I would go as far to say well respected reality TV stars to the Mm. point where when they do something it becomes pop culture like they're literally influencing pop culture and so it's just bizarre how this has evolved from Paris Hilton being very much made fun of to Kim Kardashian sometimes being made fun of but being taken very seriously other than that. Well, I mean, I just feel like the reality TV has become more of like a respected medium of television than it once was. And that it's you're less of a pariah for getting famous for no reason. It's like people's goals to like get on The Bachelor so that they can just like hawk Instagram ads for the rest of their lives, you know? So I think that it's just like, this is now a career path where when Paris Hilton is starting doing it, and even when Heidi's doing it, at that time, reality TV, I think The Hills really is when reality TV starts to be more like it's you're less judged for watching it. So I just think there's a lot to think about here as to the media's 
dislike towards these women and how and if that was what affected their music careers. Because unlike Kim Kardashian, who just has no musical talent, both Heidi and Paris and obviously Lindsay Lohan, they were all talented singers. There was the skill set there. It didn't feel as much like a last ditch effort to be famous in another way. It felt like them actually wanting to do it. Where in Kim's regard, it feels very much like a last ditch effort to like try another route of fame because it's like, oh, well, I'm already doing well. Might as well make music too to make more money. Because I think in Kim's regard, most of the things that Kim has done was to make her empire larger. Whereas I think in the way that Heidi and Paris have talked about it and even Lindsay, like it wasn't necessarily to make their empires bigger, but was to try and put them in the direction that they more so wanted to go in their careers. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that while some of them were criticized themselves for their music or not taken seriously, I feel like if you, I don't know, Sarah, maybe you have a different opinion on this because you kind of were closer to these reality TV shows than I was, but I feel like if you at the time were like, oh my God, I love Heidi Montag's album, nobody would bully you. Whereas we (laughs) see with boy bands and pop stars today, if you're like, oh my God, I love One Direction. Oh my God, I love Justin Bieber. And you're a teen girl, you're very much going to be bullied for it. I don't know. I don't really remember because like I didn't watch The Hills. I was just like aware of it. So I don't know. But also like nobody listened to Heidi Montag's album when it came out. So I don't know. But I mean like Paris Hilton, I was always kind of like made fun of for the fact that I liked Paris Hilton because I was like... Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton are geniuses and everyone's like no they're fucking idiots on TV and I was like 13 I'm like they're the smartest women I've ever seen. (laughs) I think there's more to unpack here at a later date. As far as whether or not reality stars are stigmatized and you'll be bullied. Because like, I feel like there's no way you would be bullied now for being a Kylie Jenner fan or like someone who buys all of Kylie's like makeup products. You're not going to be bullied for that. But you're still bullied for liking new boy bands. So yeah, I think think that there is always going to be stigma around something that solely exists for the consumption of teen girls, whereas this stuff wasn't solely for teen girls in the same way. I don't know. There's a lot to think about. There's lots of things think about. But I want to pass this off to you guys also because when Jenna and I were doing research with this, I did also think of obviously the YouTube to pop star back to YouTuber sort of intrigue of like the maligned YouTube woman in regards to like Gabby Hanna and Tana Mojo and I'm sure there's more but those are things that exist solely in like the YouTube universe and like are not as often reported on in major media outlets and that's why we couldn't include them really in this discussion but I think that careers like that are very interesting to think about in regards to these women go from being liked to being disliked to creating music to then continuing to just being hated. And so it's a very different trajectory than it is to the women we talked about today. So if you guys have any thoughts on that YouTuber arc and think that that might be something you'd be interested in us delving into, please hit us up and let us know. And if you have any thoughts and specifically about Superficial by Heidi Montag, (laughs) I would love to hear them. (laughs) And you can have that conversation with us over on social media. We are at Name3Songs on all social media platforms, or you can come talk to us personally. I am at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us on Name3Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite bands. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Heidi Montag. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit Name3Songs.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.